Welcome back to Square Horror. I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. Master of Ceremonies, Matt. I can't wait to talk about this movie. Yeah. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk about this movie. Yes, we are back with our Growing Up as a Pain series with our yeah. last pre-high school film, which is what, Matt? It's Let Me In. It's a real pain in the neck. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? Uh, three seconds ago. Oh, that's good. It's about vampires, this movie, so <laughs> it, that's why it's funny. This is time for the audience to laugh. We'll give you a minute. Perfect. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so, Let Me In is very, very special for a number of reasons. The least of which, or the not least of which, is that it is directed by Matt Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, came out in 2010, so about 12 years ago. <clears throat> but Matt Reeves recently just directed The Batman. With Robert Pattinson. Yeah, which if you haven't seen it, do so. Go see it if you don't want to go out to movie theaters, and if it's not in movie theaters anymore, it will be dropping on HBO Max on Monday, April 18th. Yeah, so you can pause it and go to the bathroom, and then you won't be able to complain about that bullshit. Because so far, that's been the only thing I've heard people complain about, is that I couldn't pee. I'm like, well, now you can pause it and you can go to the bathroom. Now, what if you couldn't pee just as a biological being? You'd probably be a vampire, and you'd probably be in that reason. That's my segue, Dana. I don't know. The only thing that I can say uh, in terms of the actual material, vampire-wise, mm-hmm. um, there's a f- I, there's at least one or two other um, media out there that has vampires in it. Danny. Wouldn't you say like maybe one, oh, two, a couple, yeah, like, maybe like couple one or two? I would say no more than four. Of course. Uh, and in those roughly four, uh, no, <laughs> certainly no more. No more. Uh, and certainly not dating back at least 200 years. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff, you mm-hmm. know, in, 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 in vampires. And um, like we were talking about when we were watching the movie, um, like the, just the differences between Abby in this movie and the vampires in Buffy, specifically mm-hmm. in the the big difference we were talking about, which is the namesake of the movie, that vampires need to be invited inside mm-hmm. uh, in order to even enter a, a house enter or, a, or a building. It's pretty yeah. much... Wait, it couldn't be a building. No, well, an wait, apartment is technically on. an open building until you get to each person's non-public place. Because okay. then it becomes private residency. So does that extend to, like, rooms of the hospital? This is going to be our, this yes. is gonna be our well, Hippocratic actually, Oath. Okay, so here's the, here's <laughs> the thing, because this is dealt with a little bit in Buffy, so I'm going to dust off my yeah, uh, please, Buffy please. coat here. But um, it's whenever it's a public place. Like, a hospital is technically a public place. Which there is no why Abby could have walked into Which is why lobby. she could have gone anywhere throughout that building. Except in his room, because she asked him to be invited and she couldn't get in. And that's because he took right. the um, ownership of the room. It If he hadn't, and he just hadn't said anything, she would have been able to go through. Yeah. Because it's technically still a public place. Probably the same rules apply, yeah, like you said, for apartments and, like, hotel buildings. Mm-hmm. It's like, they can go and prowl the halls, but as soon as you get near them, you're, you're safe. Yeah. Uh, so... We'll get to that big difference. And actually, you know, let's talk about the, the vampires up top. Yeah. But, uh, uh, br- okay, so briefly, yeah, Let Me In came out in 2010. It's a remake. I hesitate to use the word remake. It is I, a remake. I would go reimagining. Yeah, certainly it's, it's a more of a reimagining, except that Let the Right One In, which it's based on, mm-hmm. straight up the same exact story beats. Yeah. More or less. Um, obviously, there's a lot more... Um, attention to like american themes and uh how those play into the uh the characters and and what they think and how they how they behave uh, in this movie 
uh, because it takes place in the uh, America of the 80s. Yeah, which was definitely a stylistic choice. Mm -hmm. You don't agree? No, no, no. I don't don't disagree. No, I... (laughs) You said that with an S. I have some things I think about in particular with the use of the 80s that I'm going to get into later. Uh, When we get to the themes, man. Yes. Cool, awesome. Uh, yes, yeah, so it is a remake, for lack of a better word, a reimagining of Let the Right One In, which is a 2008 uh, Scandinavian film, which mm-hmm. is an adaption of a novel of the same name by uh, John Ashvidi Lindvisk. Uh, I, I cannot pronounce it. He's from Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, we're, uh, we're not great with the Swedish uh, names. Yeah, I was not trying to be mean. I just know that somehow that is how they pronounce some words. Yes. Um, so you got to be a little bouncy. So anyway, so the book is called Let the Right One In, and the you know the movie that it was, mm-hmm. uh, the, the 2008 movie, which I have seen years ago, uh, and remember being quite good, um, especially in terms of uh, the, the snow imagery, which they do mm, a lot in yes. this movie, specifically because it's in uh, Sweden. So this reimagining came from the mind of Matt Reeves, mm-hmm. who uh, I've been singing the praises of for about a month here. Uh, and had unknowingly been singing the praise of for a little bit longer because so Matt Reeves did the Batman, which came out this year. Uh, it, he also wrote and directed War for the Planet of the Apes, which is the third in the like twenty tens. Yeah, Planet of the Apes films. He also directed Dawn, Dawn of, the of the Planet, Planet of, the of the Apes. But I think where it becomes f- flipped uh, in terms of his style, I, you've seen all those movies, right, mm-hmm. Danny? Um, it's the, been a while, but I've seen all of them. Yeah, for I'm, those that haven't, rewatch. rewatch them. They are incredible movies. Not just because Matt Reeves does half of them, but they're a great retelling. Uh, Andy Serkis deserves a fucking Oscar for it. Yes. Um, and it, it's it's great because it's, it's all like more or less a prologue of the Planet of the Apes sci-fi world that has been around since, what, the 60s? At least, maybe earlier, but yeah, yeah at least earlier. the '60s. Um, but in it, it, it follows a very similar character to uh, to what Matt Reeves likes to kind of uh, kind of evoke from his characters, in that it's a it's a damaged person becoming a becoming more pow- more than themselves mm-hmm. and overcoming their own demons in uh, in the face of like external demons a lot. Uh, we have a whole list of Matt Reeves isms that we just found in this movie oh, that yeah. uh, that work for yeah. a few of his movies. Yeah, like it's just like thing like a Matt Reeves checklist mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Yeah, um, but those movies specifically are very good and evocative of a lot of his big themes because Matt Reeves is a big visual storyteller. Yes, uh, and his writing is is amazing. Uh, but in addition to uh, the Batman, he also uh, Created, um, what's it called? Um, the movie, the found footage one. Uh, Cloverfield? Cloverfield, yes. Yeah. He directed Cloverfield. Like, the, well, like 06, 07 uh, or something like that. Yeah. Um, which is interesting. That's the same year that Let the Right One In came out. Hmm. Um, I haven't watched Cloverfield in a long time. I watched it once. I can't I don't think I've ever just seen because it. it makes me... It gives me motion sickness to watch mm-hmm. it, which is which not is, the movie's fault. That's a, yeah, that's just a thing with some found footage movies yeah. and people's... Or how people watch them. Yeah, it's just my brain and my eyes don't like move yeah. <laughs> so a lot like that. Uh, but it was a fantastically well received movie, especially of the time. Uh, it kind of did what, um, what's it called? Uh, Blair Witch did in terms yeah. of, of reimagining found footage and what you can do within found footage. 
Uh, because Blair Witch was like, yeah, found footage, but it was very simplistic mm-hmm. in how it scared you. Cloverfield, it was like CGI, crazy big sets, you know, special effects, all that stuff. And he's like, you can do that shit in found footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, he did the Planet of the Apes. And then, you know, most recently with the Batman. But before he did the Batman and before he did Planet of the Apes, he did Let Me In. And I think what he did with this movie, specifically when it comes to vampires and how to... Um, he kind of li- like literalized um, their metaphorical uh, kind of the plague aspect of them. Because we mm-hmm. talked about a little bit on our Frankenstein and Dracula episode, just like the sheer villainy of Dracula in at least the book and in vampires of the time, it was as if they came with a literal and metaphorical plague. Like they just destroyed by the very nature of them being alive. Mm-hmm. That's where we get a lot of those more romantic, gothic, kind of like eye-rolly sort of like vampire-isms and, and story arcs and like cringeworthy dialogue you get from Twilight, which is not knocking Twilight. That's a first. Because actually, <laughs> as we've talked about, you very much enjoyed the Twilight movies. I did. Okay, I this, did. There was no slight to that. I was just helping prove a point. <laughs> yes. I was proving that we weren't just digging on Twilight. No, no. I, well, I, I only bring that up because it seems, and I'm sure you can attest to this a bit with Buffy in a second, but just when you put vampires in a thing, nine times out of ten, they've got to be really dramatic. Mm-hmm. They've got to have this big weight of... I can't be a normal person. I can't do this. You know, I, I, you know, this home, I'm not actually a person. All of those things. I'm nothing. Yeah. Well, but all of those things are, yeah. But but I feel like all those things kind of, if they're handled more loosely or kind of more for a joke, they can kind of lose themselves in like, oh God, like get over yourself or mm-hmm. like kind of be more like up played off as a joke. Like I'm sure a little bit of it is in Buffy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I can remember a whole episode where they just made fun of one of the girls they went to high school with because she turned into a vampire just to like meet a guy. And that was a whole God joke for damn. an episode. Yeah. And I mean, most of the time, especially in this movie, if you're a vampire, you like, cannot exist in the human world for Mm -hmm. multiple reasons. Um, Not only are you going to outlive everyone that you're probably going to ever care about, but also at the very sight of blood, you become an animal. Yeah. And you'll kill people without even realizing you're doing it. Um, So the vampire stuff in this movie that I feel like is why this one's worth watching. Mm -hmm. Um. There's a lot of those old tropes. Um, it's a little bit more literary and um, like a, like creature of the night, cur- like not curse based, but like they're something else. Like mm-hmm. they are not a human imbued with like a curse. They're not a human that with like extra powers. They're a yeah. monster. Like they're another thing they're that a looks creature. exactly yes. like it, it's a monster masquerading in this case as a little girl. Mm-hmm. Like it is not a thing you can reason with really it's a thing that lacks at least what you assume lacks complete humanity Mm -hmm. there is nothing human about them they exist just to consume blood as they're more or less just an animal yeah um which i think is very cool especially with the way that they have abby who's a 12 year old vampire 12 in the figurative sense looks 12 she looks 12 yeah uh yeah but she's in her words she's been 12 for a very very long time uh, and it's always very sad and very cool for stories um, 
I mean, let me know if you agree, but like to have vampires as children, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, it kind of relates back to that whole just like children could be fucking creepy because they'll just say shit sometimes. And then if you add in that they're hundreds of years old, you're like, oh, oh fuck, you knew about that. It, it's a lot of very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like kids like that we've covered so far in this series that will just say things but like there's an air of ominousness to them because mm-hmm. children developmentally shouldn't have the comprehension of things like the devil or god like their brains can't really wrap around that concept just yet mm-hmm. so and in this way it's kind of cool because the way that Abby talks about what she is she never calls herself a vampire mm-hmm. Owen only does that one time yeah um but because he's like, are you a vampire? And she's like, I need blood to survive. Like she's like, I don't even know what that is or mm-hmm. like what this means. I wasn't around to like consume that sort of media. Yeah. I just know this is what I am and mm-hmm. I know these are the rules. And yeah, I guess as a human, you can fit that into your understanding of the world. But that in a book and that in reality are two totally different things. Yeah. My big thing that I always love for, uh, not only children vampires, but new vampires. Um, Steph, who has, I'm sure we've talked about it on the show before, but she is an author. She she mm-hmm. does a uh, she does a lot with vampires, especially in in her first book. And what she does with newborn, as they call them, vampires, where something someone that is freshly made into a vampire that doesn't really know what's happening to them mm-hmm. or is still getting used to the urges. Um, they're super dangerous. Yeah. Because they can't they don't know how to hold back. They don't know. Yeah, they can't strength. control anything. Exactly. So I think it's nuts how dangerous a vampire without any instruction can be, which is probably why, you know, in a society that has vampires, they're either more or less gone or very underground. Because anytime anyone loses control, you get fucking obliterated very mm-hmm. quickly. Or you don't know the sun can kill you, and then you're dead. Yeah. So all of those things are like you gotta learn, and just gotta work with what you've got. Um, well, yeah, and in this movie, fuck, can the sun kill you? The sun kills them in a matter of seconds. Yeah, like fully absorbed in a like <laughs> body of flames. flames. Yeah. yeah. The I always think that's cool because what kind of is interesting about when you do vampires any in any sense is you almost have to establish your rules mm-hmm. for what's up with them. Cause like, yes, the sun can kill vampires, but how fast can it kill them? What does it do to them? Um, yeah. Like in underworld, just like here, it's like seconds. You're mm-hmm. dead. Um, in the search of freak books that I read as a kid, vampires can stay in the sun for a couple of hours and then they just get really, really like badly burnt, which mm-hmm. they can heal. And it's not until they're, if they're like staked outside for hours that they die. And in this case, yeah, you get one and you're done. Yeah. Um, there's also some cool additions, at least on that front. Uh, so that trope that we mentioned of the inviting in. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about what what it's like in Buffy first. Okay. So, so we get a general sense of what that's like. So yeah, I grew up watching the Buffy the Vampire TV show, so that's where I get most of my uh, go-to vampire lore for whenever I'm watching something vampire. Um, in that in those circumstances, once you you words, <laughs> um, so a vampire can't enter your residency until you have verbally 
welcomed them in. Yeah. And then at a later point, you can choose to verbally unwelcome them from your house yeah. so they won't be able to enter again. Right. Um, but you only have to welcome them in the once unless you unwelcome them, which right. does happen a few times when <laughs> Buffy and Spike are fighting. What happens, you mentioned, but I don't remember, what happens if you uninvite them while they're inside your house? I don't know. It doesn't happen. Oh, it doesn't happen? Okay, cool. Because I was talking about basically, the true blood one where it kicks them out. Like basically it, like, what <laughs> happened was Buffy just pushed him out of the door and said, don't come back, and then he couldn't oh, come in. Oh, no. Plexiglass doors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what happens if you come in uninvited in this movie, Danny? Oh my god, you hemorrhage and blood starts seeping from all of your orifices. I, I mean, yeah. I don't, it looked like she was just bleeding out of her forehead. Yeah. Like, it looked like she was just, her skin was, like, dissolving and she just was leaking. It was horrifying because she was just shaking, too. Yeah, that was what was really creepy. Is it, like, for a little bit, it's just shaking, and you're like, what the fuck? And then you start to see blood streaming down her yeah. face. We'll get into the, the circumstances of that, but she is invited in, or she is she has just been kind of outed as a vampire to her friend Owen, who, when she shows up at his door and she's like, you know, you have to say, can it, you know, I can come in. And he's like, why? And she's like... You just have to. Like, she doesn't, again, she doesn't know. She just mm-hmm. knows that that is what that's need to do. That's how it works, yeah. Um, and, and so they're like, well, yeah, let's find like, out. Just see what happens. And so she kind of takes a couple steps in, and it's like a good couple minutes. Like, you know, nothing really happens yet. And then she just stands in the middle of the room and, yeah, like, just starts to shake and hemorrhage blood until he's like, you can come he's in. He's like, Jesus, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's horrifying. I was not prepared. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. Um, the effects, though. That speaking of which, uh, on the actual vampires themselves are very awesome. Yeah. Well, and I like that instead of it going into like Buffy has its very uh, static. The they give you frown. some forehead frowns, <laughs> and they like fuck with your eyes a little bit, and you get fangs, and you get fangs. Whereas in this one, it just it does kind of just feel like it's becoming a different creature. It's losing that human look. It reminds and me the, a lot like, of the skin tone changes. Yes, I, to I I believe like a ghoul or a corpse yeah. of some sort because she is cold. She smells like a corpse. She, for all intents and purposes, is a dead body mm-hmm. that feeds on blood to survive, and the sun will kill. We don't really know any other, like, there's no weaknesses. There's no, like, vampire hunters or anything. Yeah. The only thing that really we see kills vampires is the sun. And probably not being invited into a place and being stuck there. <laughs> yeah. I would assume that probably, probably kills them. Well, and they can starve to death as well. Yes. Um, and it's interesting because unlike a lot of other vampire lore, or at least it's directly addressed here, these vampires cannot eat anything other than blood. Yeah. Not even like a little bit. Not yeah, even if like they a just candy. they can't even snack because then they'll have to yeah, like throw purge up, purge it from their system. Because yeah. it's I don't, I don't know if it's poison or, or water. They I just think can't it's probably it just uh, discomfort and, and inability to digest it. That's kind of interesting because it would lose their digestive system when they're a dead right. body. The only thing they could process is blood. That I, theoretically, I'm assuming would yeah. go into their bloodstream yeah. and is what keeps them alive. You know what's kind of interesting? And we've just watched Morbius, which we might com- cover someday because yeah. <laughs> it is getting a lot of undue hate. If you haven't seen Morbius, go see it. Don't listen to what anyone on the internet says. Go watch it. Anyway, 
in Morbius, he talks about the science of vampire bats who consume blood, mm-hmm. it's, which is unlike any other bat species. They normally eat fruit, bugs, all that shit. Vampire bats eat blood. And blood itself cannot be digested by most mammals, mm-hmm. especially humans, to the point that drinking a lot of blood makes you throw up. It mm-hmm. makes you sick. So in this case, it's like flipped it's completely that she can only eat blood, and if she does anything else, she will get sick. And it I also, think that's cool to think about it as going right into her bloodstream. Yeah. That's a cool point. It also kind of made me think about WandaVision when Vision uh, yeah. ate some chewing gum <laughs> and, and like, it got stuck in his like gears. Oh, yeah, it fucks up his programming because <laughs> he's like, I don't eat food. I'm not alive. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also just love when vampires can straight up fly. Just cut, yeah. Like, it's so cool to just be like, oh, you can fly? Fuck me, I guess. All right. <laughs> like, it's one thing, like, Buffy does it where they're super fast. Like, they can they can move with, like, super speed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, when they can fly, you're like, well, fuck well, me. Game over, <laughs> man. Game ex- over. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, 30 Days of Night was just that away from, so you're just going to watch a bunch of vampires kill a bunch of yeah. people because they can't be killed at all. Um, I also think that there's something to be said about um, vampires as characters. Mm-hmm. Despite the whatever you write them as, you know, they're ghouls, they're undead, they're cursed, whatever. The thing that always stays is the vampires are immortal. They, they cannot age. Mm-hmm. They can't get sick. They can't do any of that stuff. So when you see someone in whatever medium that's, that is a vampire, I always love look, thinking about, like, what was the world like when they were turned yeah um the one that i think is so cool is like true blood does vampires and they've got vampires going back thousands of years they've got one that straight up is five thousand years old oh shit and he's a bastard he's it's dennis o'hare from uh, american Horror. i don't know if you've seen a lot of american okay Horror but yeah he, he's oh god I don't, he's a, he's in like a bunch of the seasons but mm-hmm. he's in true blood he's this five thousand year old vampire who turned this vampire that we know is like the granddad of these main characters vampires and that one was turned in like jesus's time so like this og one is like older than even that one so it's just so cool to see like them evolve especially if they turned as children because it's like yeah they've been around for hundreds of years they might as well be like an adult and a hundred years old adults um but in this case abby still kind of retains a lot of childlike aspects of her personality she still doesn't hunt normally because she can't control her urges um she is still very respondent to like puzzles and games and whatnot she still tries to make connections with people her canonical age like 12 Mm -hmm. uh and her um i don't know just her mannerisms are very socially awkward like a like a preteen adolescent who is socially like shy Mm -hmm. she still does that you know she doesn't she hasn't, like, set up a, a weird, like, international business or done some, like, nuts thing because she's been around for a long, long time. Uh, because vampires in this movie are not supposed to be good. Well, and also, if you think about it, since they have been along f- around for so long, they're not going to be good at all, like, the modern social interactions. That's they're going to have um, outdated thoughts on how social interactions should go. Yeah. So they have to relearn it probably every day decade or so to try to be able to maintain especially if you're 12 that's when like everything is you're is stuck happening and you have to be hip with the times <laughs> i thought we were talking about yeah towards the end when she's like i have to leave now 
It's like, man, she probably misses literally any time before the 1980s when a child could just be loose and travel across the country. And, like, no one asked any questions. It was just in, like, Reagan's America. They're like, wait, you're a child on we your should, own. Let's we should check how those kids are doing. Yeah. Do you know where your kids are? Yeah, exactly. Where it's like, oh, wait, now we have to care about kids living in a, an abandoned apartment in the dark by themselves. When back in the day, you could do that. No one would bother you. Yeah. Damn it. (laughs) Um, I also love that, just like a little tiny detail, that her handwriting is like super, like it looks like pilgrim handwriting. Like Mm -hmm. it's very, like all the curves and whatnot are very long. Yeah, it feels very uh, colonial American era. Yeah. I think that's where at least I would would put her in terms of when she was turned, Um, which kind of is funny because like, that means, in a way, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter could be canon in this. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, I love that movie. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, like, what more or less does it for the vampire stuff. And mm-hmm. I feel like the reason that I want to put that as a separate note, uh, with, maybe without even knowing, is that this movie is so complex and great, even if it wasn't about vampires at all. Yeah, it's a very grounded drama, especially when you follow these two kids and how they kind of relate in their lack of um, other relationships that they can they feel comfortable in they feel they can trust and then yeah. even within this relationship those times where they wonder can they trust each other yeah. because they both kind of start off with like I hate to say like the stray dog bit where you're not sure if you can trust the person who's offering you something at first because you don't know if they're actually there for you or if they're just going to use you it's kind of interesting to look at Abby and how she views her initial reaction with Owen because okay I don't want to spoil it but there's a really great twist at the end of the movie that kind of plays into that it's not the first time that she's made friends Mm -hmm. Um, that's as vague as I'll keep it yeah but we know what we're talking about so I just was upon the second time I I watched it, it was interesting to see that that was her aversion Mm-hmm. But then it made me think, oh, shit, it's a lot more deep than that. Because her interactions with her father, I was like, man, this guy's got some serious balls. Like, yelling at her, keep turning his back to her mm-hmm. when he, she hasn't been fed in weeks. And then I look at it through this other lens, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is a different relationship dynamic than mm-hmm. I thought. And in a way, it almost might be that, yeah, she has that aversion, which, you know, because she tells Owen immediately, like, just so you know, we can't be friends. It's like the first thing she says to him. Yeah, I think it's the full, first full sentence she Yeah, says. after she asks him what he's doing when he's stabbing a tree with a bucket knife. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what, <laughs> what? what's happening What are you here? doing here? Um, and honestly, I, I don't know how I view her. Like, this movie is so good because you can view her through a number of different ways. You can view her as someone who seeks out outsiders. Mm -hmm. Because she looks at him and is like, okay, this kid doesn't have a whole lot of friends. This kid has a violent streak already going, so he's got that killer instinct in him that Mm -hmm. I need. He doesn't view himself as capable or powerful or with a whole lot of, like, respect, which is something that I can capitalize on. Or... She doesn't want to befriend anybody else because she doesn't want to do what she has already done in the past. She mm-hmm. doesn't want to ruin someone's life again. And that there is why I'm like, God, that Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like three-dimensional. Um, but those character relationships you talked about, you do really feel for these kids. Yeah. You feel for them fucking 
immediately. I was like, from the get-go, absolutely. Yeah. Which is very cool uh, if you want to talk a bit about just the 80s as a vibe, that they establish this ominous sort of, like, dark side of the Reagan-era 80s, which like, the early 1980s. Ironically, when Stranger Things takes place, mm-hmm. which is kind of a fun, like, contrast of the 80s is not, like, is remembered with some fondness, but in the moment, there was a lot of darkness. Yeah. And there was a lot of conflicting, psychologically, like, wire-crossing messages happening. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what, how, how did you interpret okay. that? So here's something I always have wanted to try to, like, verbalize yeah, and let's dissect. Let's do, uh, let's do the think, 80s. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is, um, specifically in the 80s in this film and in Stephen King's it from the 2017 movie, I think it's a major aspect of when people are writing movies that surround this era, especially if they were growing up in this era. Like my, Matt Reeves was, I think, 14 when the 80s started. Yeah. And um, so he, if my theory is correct. And let's say it is. And let's say it is. <laughs> he might have experienced this intense level of bullying from one aspect or the other side. And so I think in that it's a horror thing, it is something he can personally tap into that scared him when he was that age, and he's now able to rewrite it so he can fight back against it. It's an aspect that he can take back a little bit of power from what was taken from him for so long. And that, I think, is part of the reason why, especially when it's an older... Not older, but when it's... I mean, it's 40 years uh, decades, ago now. <laughs> Decades <laughs> removed. Is, yeah, we, we were saying during it, I'm like, the 80s is just now starting to sink in that it's 40 years ago because but I look at shit, I'm like, that looks like a totally different world. Yeah. And that's when I know it's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in part of it, having that be so far removed is also how we can now look at it and just see how insane some of it was. Like, there was a real problem with some of the more intense violence in bullying as compared to, especially now. Now, bullying is much less overtly violent like it was 40 years ago. The abuse has shifted to more, like, psychological abuse as opposed to, like, physical (laughs) and verbal abuse. Um, And I think it's also worth noting, and I I saw this in your notes, is that um, the reason the bull they give the rationale for the bully in this movie, yeah, in that really his cool. older brother does the exact same thing to him, right. so he has to have that released on someone else he views as weaker than himself. Absolutely, yeah. I, I didn't want to write a lot of it down because I'm like, we could spend a whole other podcast, like a very different type of podcast, talking about just the psychology of violence, which we might do someday. Yeah, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, what what you kind of learn pretty quickly when you when you unfortunately are in or when you study <clears throat> like abusive backgrounds and just the cycle of violence is that it's usually nine times out of ten it's about power and it's about power mm-hmm. displacement and how does someone who has been made feel weak take that power back? Yeah, and in the eighties because again the eighties was this perfect storm to like like the reason ironically that there was so many serial killers in the 60s through the 80s was this perfect storm of like this was happening like that bullying aspect not mm-hmm. to say that bullying causes serial killing because it doesn't um the 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 wire crossing messages happening mm-hmm. uh and just the general despondency of society at large to any of that happening mm-hmm. so in this case it's like the movie has a lot to say about 
violence and power being the tools of someone who's afraid and someone who's weak. Yeah. And you see that throughout the movie. You see it with Owen immediately. You see it with the, with the bullies. And, yeah, the bullies are the only time that it really is like, yeah, that's what violence is like. Someone is always a victim. And that victim, if they feel like there's no way out, will then displace that. Mm-hmm. Like, had Owen never met Abby... I wouldn't have been surprised if he had grown up to be violent, mm-hmm. specific like serial killer or just violent on a base because he has been made weak. He is growing up in a family that is broken. Mm-hmm. His mother is pumping him with this these this like religious imagery of the early 80s. His father is a huge gaslighter and is hinted to be an abuser. So he has yes. already seen that abuse is the path. And like, is neglectful. Yeah, he's neglected. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. That was a big 80s thing. And gen- that's what I mean, where it's like, mm-hmm. just because you were neglected and your parents got divorced and you were beat doesn't mean you're going to be violent. But if you had nothing else mm-hmm. and that was reinforced, you're going to be violent later. Yeah. So the first thing we see him do is dress up in a fucking mask in his mirror and threaten just uh, yes, a, somebody. Yeah, an imaginary person. Right. He is reasserting himself as a aggressive, scary figure mm-hmm. because, as we learned from the, not even just the Batman, but Batman in general, taking on something that makes people afraid of you gives you power over them, psychological mm-hmm. power over them, which is all about what abuse is. Um, also, I just need to say it. This movie goes uh, with the bullies going on to full-on attempted murder yeah. by the end. Well, and that's – I think that's a good idea or a good way of showing someone who is aggressive, mm-hmm. who uses aggression, when that is delivered to them because they are in themselves a weak person. They have no way of fe- of taking back – so they've been then made weak back to them, mm-hmm. right? What is the only way that that person knows how to make themselves feel big again? They have to escalate the violence. They have to escalate it. And they have to get more people. They need mm-hmm. to make themselves feel stronger by making others afraid of them, which is why you had a good note of the other bullies are like, bro, you got to calm down. Both times. Yes, because it's not about power to them. They are mm-hmm. just lonely and they want people to accept them. They're just insecure. They yeah. need something like that. So they latch onto people like that. And then that is a cyclical pattern of well they don't want to f- they don't want to be bullied mm-hmm. they see what's happening to this kid so they're not going to step in they don't want to not have an identity so they stay on as like a toady yeah and then when that bully themselves sees what real darkness looks like in like his older brother even he kind of recoils because mm-hmm. the natural human inclination is not to be violent that's just the only way they know to make themselves feel better mm-hmm. which is sad but you know. It would be sad if they didn't hurt people. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, and on the flip side, um, Abby is someone who is also withdrawn. She's also, at least on when you first meet her, she's neglected. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of red flags that she's being, like, abused because she doesn't have shoes on. It's the middle of winter. She's sickly looking. Yeah. Um, smells bad. The father is clearly yelling at her through the walls. So, like, all of these things are ticking off for Owen, like, oh, she's like me. Mm-hmm. And because he just wants to feel powerful, a not as horrible but still semi-problematic way of taking back power sometimes, 
is to protect other people. Mm-hmm. So he feels that oh, I'll I'll just she's my girlfriend. I like we'll we'll be friends and we'll, you know all of this stuff because it makes him feel better as well. Yeah, and taking care of her in a metaphorical or as she posits a literal sense would fulfill both of their needs, which mm-hmm. is not love. It is mutual codependency, which is bad. And it's psychologically negative for both parties. So that's what that's what's interesting is that these kids, you feel for them, but at least for me, just because like I study this shit, mm-hmm. I'm like, no, someone needs to someone reach needs out to, to them. Between, someone, someone needs, needs to, to help them. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but she moves around. Her father is afraid of her. Um, and we learn very quickly that he's a murderer too. So mm-hmm. in any other sense, you're like, okay, well, this kid needs to be emancipated fucking promptly. But it's like, well, he's draining people of blood and he's bringing it back. Why? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, as that power dynamic shifts, you're like, oh, all right, she is dangerous. And she is now putting, inserting herself into Owen's life mm-hmm. to do what that's kind of the ambiguous nature of i'm like oh this is cute but like what are you doing what are you trying to do this is cute but why <laughs> yeah uh do you want to talk a little bit about what owen's deal is like who he is i mean he's our main character so yeah um who's he played by but first uh, personally by the way I, the name is i don't remember um, he is played by cody smith mcphee mm-hmm. who actually recently was in headlines because he was one of the uh nominees for best supporting actor this year oh awesome in uh the power of the dog oh cool i don't know anything about but i know he was in it oh yeah and um yeah so he also um I mostly know this actor from playing Nightcrawler in the more recent X-Men movies, mm-hmm. not Alan coming from the old X2. No. Because that's a slightly different man. Yeah. He's also in the uh, movie adaptation of the Cormac McCarthy book, The Road. Okay. Uh, which, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the source material, but is pretty well respected in terms of dystopian literature. I had to read it in high school. The movie's got Viggo Mortensen from, yeah, from Lord of the Rings. Uh, and it's very cool too because it's about this. It's like years after a nuclear fallout. It's a father and his son who have like bare minimum resources, are just walking the country, mm-hmm. and this is the kid. He, you know, okay. he he's very like, you know, his father is trying everything he can to keep them alive, and he's just like, well, I gotta be there. So he kind of is a good go, at least when he was a kid, to cast for like kids that are like weaker but they're 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 supposed to be there for some kind of emotional catharsis mm-hmm. you know uh, uh so, he also worked with matt reeves again later in dawn of the planet of the apes I think that's like right little, he is in them yeah I, I was like wait a minute i know you from somewhere else too yeah when i gotta rewatch those movies now for sure um so we meet him at the dawn, yeah, when we're introduced to the 80s, we're mm-hmm. simultaneously introduced to him, what it's like for him. He's bullied constantly. He's a weaker kid. He doesn't have a lot of friends. His mom and his father are separated and going through a pretty nasty divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mom's probably an alcoholic, um, very despondent, very hyper-religious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which is also brought up later by the father on a phone call, which I think is really an interesting point that definitely sa- tells me that those two had a disagreement on exactly. on religion, and so right. he doesn't know where to stand with it anymore. I also that phone call when I watched it with you oh, was so it's sad because I 
I think you might have gotten it at, at, at once, but I was more like, man, this is just telling me more about their marriage. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is the only time he's asked. Like, he doesn't know how to ask for help. Yeah. Because he's like, he, how do you go, um, Dad, there's a vampire. Like, you, yeah. you don't know what to do. Because he loves Abby, and as soon as he learns this about her, he's like, okay, well, she's very clearly dangerous, and mm-hmm. I am, like, you know, primed to believe in, like, evil or whatever the fuck. So I can't like something that's evil, but I know Abby is good. Why? Like, what do I do? And when he called his dad, the dad just completely blew him off. Mm-hmm. Didn't even listen to him. Uh, yeah, and then the end of the phone call, he tries to tell his fa- father he loves him, and he just fucking And he just up hangs up. Ugh. Like, yeah, you, like, made a vocal, like, oh, And I'm like, oh, shit, that was really sad. Yeah. <laughs> so so we, we meet him... He's fucked. And I, in my mind, I'm like, this kid's going to be a fucking serial killer someday. Yeah. Like, he is not, there's no good influence, there's no good messages happening. Fuck. And then he meets Abby, mm-hmm. who moves in uh, in the middle of the night with her, like, cryptically weird father. Mm-hmm. This older man who just kind of shoes her inside and then, like, leaves awkwardly. And then keeps coming back at weird hours in the middle of the night, covered in blood. Um, and then he gets in, and there's a lot of yelling and banging uh, neck from next door where they mm-hmm. live. And, you know, Owen doesn't know much. He probably is more like, this girl needs someone. Yeah. And I Well, because I think he's thinking, there. if this girl's anything like I was, she's going to need someone, because I wish there had been someone for me. Yeah. And yeah. it's that whole kind of fulfilling your own needs through trying to help others. Right. And it's rough because he's he tries in such like a like a thirteen year old boy from the eighties way, where he's just like, oh, here's like what the arcades like. Like she like here are the things I like. Surely here's this a, might help. Here's you. a Rubik's cube. Yeah, and I mean that's how they first bond is because mm-hmm. she is she does like puzzles. That's kind yeah. of been her thing for for years. Where you know, so she's immediately kind of transfixed by that. And this is back in the eighties when like no one knew how to solve the Rubik's cube yet. So when he so, gives it to her and she solves it, he's like, "What? How the fuck did you do yeah. that?" <laughs> yeah, man. I, I remember that scene. Have you seen the Pursuit of Happiness? Uh, a while ago, yeah. One of like the hooks of that movie was like it was this genius guy who like solved the Rubik's cube like right when it came out. He was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, we well, just do this," and everyone was like, "How the fuck did you do that?" And now there's like algorithms and shit. It's like, yeah, it's it's just all like you do this a certain amount of times, and then like mathematically it solves itself. And I'm like, oh, that's boring. <laughs> that's not fun. And now it's just how fast can you do it? Because everyone knows how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, though, so because you know he's kind of misguided, he's got all of his ideas for friendships, relationships, what girls are like from yeah. TV or books or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he's even like, will you go steady with me? And you're like, I haven't heard going steady since Since Bye Bye Birdie. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, we're, you know, that's a very, you know, vintage title. Uh, You know, even, the like, he's reading Romeo and Juliet and is enjoying Mm -hmm. it like a nerd. So he's (laughs) more of a, a, uh, like, he he probably feels an outsider to how society is. So he Mm -hmm. finds solace a lot in, in consuming, like, pop culture type stuff so that's how he relates to her mm-hmm. which i think is very cute and awkward because she's like none of this means anything <laughs> <to> yeah <me." laughs> 
It's like E.T. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, here's Star Wars. And he's like, what is a movie? Like, he doesn't yeah. know anything about, like, what's happening. Um, but that, that moment where they, where she, like, it's like a coming out conversation like I had. Like, mm-hmm. after he has been like, oh, well, I've seen this on TV for people that have a close bond. We're going to become blood brothers, which is a thing that does not happen now. Yeah. Because kids don't just carry knives with them now. But it's you cut open your palm or your thumb or whatever, and you have someone do the same, and you like join hands so that like your blood—it's the blood of yeah, yeah. It's like you know, then you're bound by blood at that mm-hmm. point. But when he does that, she, she just drinks the blood from the floor, and is like, "You gotta leave!" And she bolts out, runs up a tree, and then almost kills him. <laughs> yeah, just straight up attacks the first person she sees. That's that bloodlust. That, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if that's just how vampires are, and that's why they're so hard to not just die immediately, is because as soon as they start drinking, they can't. They, Stop. Their mind yeah. just turns off. Uh, but after she, she calms down, and Owen, for some reason, is like, i got to give her another chance, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> He goes over to her house and and, and a cute is like you should say I have to come in and she's like okay like this is serious yeah. <laughs> uh, but their whole conversation about that is very childlike mm-hmm. and the choice of language that she had to talk about herself before and even after uh, like several times she asked Owen if if she if he liked her and if he would like her even if she wasn't a girl mm-hmm. and you know. That doesn't mean anything to him. He's 12. Yeah. It's more like, what are you talking about? Or I was afraid. I'm like, don't be mean and 80s and homophobic. Don't do this shit. But he was like, I don't understand. I don't care. I care about you. And she Mm -hmm. was like, oh, perfect. He is like, "Uh, cool. That would mean we were friends if we were boys as opposed to like boyfriend, girlfriend. Mm Because he probably doesn't think boys and girls can be friends. Yeah. And in her mind, she's like, oh, good. He immediately gets what I mean when I say say that. He did not get what she meant. (laughs) Yeah. Like the way that Abby asks him, like after she kills that guy in that tunnel and drinks his blood and looks better, she asks him if she smells better. Mm -hmm. And like, he probably didn't notice the, like what that meant he mm-hmm. probably was like oh cool she bathed like good for her I don't care yeah. but in reality it's like do I smell like a corpse anymore because I'm a vampire am I, am I fixing my problems yet <laughs> yeah do I not look evil and shit yet um, but yeah like the, the, the reference that you know when he's like are you a vampire he knows about vampires because he read about it mm-hmm. and everything like about what vampires are at least in real life for him does not translate yeah let's say that vampires are real in this sense they are clearly they are different to some degree than they are in books Mm -hmm. so that is where his knowledge ends yeah so the way that she talks about it is not by labeling it it's just these are the facts of what's up with me this Mm -hmm. is what i know life to be like um how long have you been 12 she's like well you know i'm 12 more or less more or less yeah i've been 12 for a very very long time because, uh, yeah, she doesn't know how it works. All she knows is that this is what life is like for her, mm-hmm. which does make me think in a sad way that she did not sign up for this. Yeah. She was probably preyed upon by some other vampire, and luckily they scared him off before he could kill her. Mm-hmm. And then she, like we see with the woman in the hospital, if you get bit by a vampire in this and way, you turn into one. Yeah, if they don't kill you and yeah. completely drain you f- 
drain your blood. I haven't seen that happen in a while. Normally, it's you gotta blood them, or you, in what Buffy they have to drink in, vampire blood. Say, yeah, in Buffy, it's that you have to get bitten and you have to bite them back. So you have what? to like get some of their vampire blood in your system. My mind's going to the wait. If you bite it and it dies, you're venomous. <laughs> like that whole shit. Or like, oh fuck, I can't keep it square. I think that's. I don't remember if they have to bite you, but you have to bite them. You at the very least need to drink their blood. Yeah, okay. you don't. I guess you don't have to bite them, but yes, you have to ingest their blood. <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna pour it into a little shot glass for you. Like, drink up, buddy. <laughs> It's normally more serious than that. Yeah. It's normally in a more intense situation. Yeah. But, okay, they are cute, though. These kids' the relationship is pretty cute. It is. Like, as soon as I'm like, man, she's starting to become problematic, they have that scene where he's, like, just laying in his bed. Because like, they fucking, he teaches her Morse code. So they can tap through the wall. How fucking cute is that? And, like, that moment where he's just sitting on his wall and he's, like, He's, like, turned over, and it pans just over the wall, and she's, like, touching the wall. I'm like, that's cute. Mm -hmm. You did just kill that guy. (laughs) But he doesn't know that. I know, but I'm just like, oh, man, she's a problem. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Well, I think that's the nice balance that this movie finds throughout so much of it is that, yes, she is this dangerous creature. It's dark as fuck. (laughs) But also there's this relationship that you care so much about, and you want to see the good side of it. You don't want to just harp on the negatives all the time. Yeah, like I had a specific bit where you do see the problematic nature of her as this parasitic force Mm -hmm. that just sort of like as soon as her father dies – she just moves in with him. He becomes her responsibility, whether he likes it or not. And she, I, I don't, I still don't, I still haven't really made up my mind on if she's good or bad. Or doesn't know saying, that she's bad. That's yeah. more where I'm kind of yeah, at right I now. Saying, I don't think it's quite as um, black and white as, is she good or bad? Right, I, I, I know, but more like motive-wise. Like, does yeah. she know that she is doing this actively mm-hmm. or is this more just she doesn't know how to do it right again like abuse so like all i know is this is how i make relationships work yeah is i just latch myself onto them and either consciously or unconsciously like push the buttons of you care about me a lot mm-hmm. so you'll do this for me yeah like um so it's, so when she just kind of moves into his bed and he's like, oh, wow, you're, like, freezing cold. And she's like, yeah, it's, it's fine. Don't, like, look at me or anything. I'm covered yeah, in blood. covered in blood. Um, but, yeah, like, so he's like, will you go steady with me? And she's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, we're going to just do the same sort of thing we've done before. And she's like, and she's oh, like, okay, oh, okay, great. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's when he's like, you know, are you a boy or a girl? And she's like, I'm not anything. Mm-hmm. That's more where she was coming from with that yeah. she wasn't she's like oh i'm a male it's more like i'm not a human being yeah is that gonna be good for you i know you don't drink yeah like she keeps doing these like checkups where he's like oh you're freezing and she's like is that weird like she's doing these like someone who is used to rejection immediate like oh but like i'll change that if you want mm-hmm. And then immediately the next day when she moves into that bathroom, she writes him that note that's like, hey, I'm in the bathroom. Don't come, Don't come in, in. But, like, I want to hang out with you later because I really like you. Because it's, like, that extra hook of, like, 
well, I'll stand guard and make sure no one bothers her because mm-hmm. I want her to be okay. Yeah. And I don't know if she knows she's doing that or not, but it's just like, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about the twist. So no. let's just skip over that bit. Um, yeah, like literally my last like four notes were all about like, oh, this is what, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about some of the standout stuff. That'll give me a good segue into the Matt Reeves checklist. Yeah. So some of the visually striking moments. Go. You. So the first one that was huge for me was actually in one of the scenes where the father was on the hunt and drained the blood out of a body, which, first of all, he has had lots of practice in because he had that down to a science. Oh, yeah. Well, now that I'm thinking about that mask, that's Mm -hmm. to if blood gets on him, he can take it it off and throw it away. Yeah. Um, but then when he's getting ready to move the blood, he spills it and it just crawls down the snowy hill. I love that. And it's just such a striking visual. Oh, it's so fucking cool. Blood on snow is just Mm -hmm. such a cool shot whenever it's used. Especially because it's in the dark. It's at night. So the only thing that is lighting the snow at all is like A flashlight. Yeah, or a flashlight. Yeah, it's very minimal light, so... You don't see the color necessarily. You but just see you a see... darkness taking yeah. over the snow. This Ooh, it's white so cool. Snow. Oh, uh, yeah. And then when there is color, it's very like, like when he whacks that fucking kid in the ear. It's blood on ice. So mm-hmm. it's this stark contrast between the the purity. I'm gonna be really nerdy. Like the purity, the 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 proposed and like imagined purity of the '80s is this perfectly fine thing that so quickly and so easily can be irrevocably stained beyond repair, and it's the first thing that you notice about it. He, that was not intentional. That was so cool. Yeah. That was very well spoken. It definitely was not intentional. I know as a writer that, that like all the coolest bits like that are never thought of. It's all like, oh, holy shit, I guess that's right. I, was like, I, would, <laughs> I would believe it would be a, uh, less of a writing, directing uh, thought. That's like a cinematography that's, thing. That's a cinematography thing. Yeah. Because um, those, those are the people who think about that stuff. They're like, oh, a blank canvas that I can spew my blood on. Yeah, like I've seen the Batman three times now, mm-hmm. and every time I've found new cool like thematic stuff, I'm like, Matt Reeves probably did, like, 25% of that. Mm. He probably didn't even know <laughs> the rest of this, you know. Um, but, yeah, that blood on the snow and blood on the water, um, that that goes right well with that body and the ice scene. Yeah. Uh, and it's right after Owen has stood up to his bullies for the first time and has really, like, fucking busted open it's his head bullies. Brutal. It is nasty. It's a big-ass pipe he used. Yeah, it's just, like, some kind of, like, ice poker, like a big, long one. I was like, it's straight up just solid metal. I was going to say it was, a like, silicon. Tube, yeah. You know, like, where it's, it's like, like, a, like a switch almost. Where mm-hmm. like it's got a lot of, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is that right when the teacher is supposed to be like, hey, kids, you cannot be hitting each He's Russian. I'm not being offensive. Four o'clock, we make you strong. You, make us, you want to be strong? I make you strong. <laughs> it's like, hey, kid, you play, you play plus. You pass the puck. You play hockey. Oh, I wait, want to see pass. Know. No, stop hitting. Hey, no, no. And then kids are screaming behind him. And he's like, I got to go check this out. Oh, this first time you see frozen body in pond? Come yeah. on, kids. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, we get body and nice two times a week. You know, that type of shit. <laughs> but the way that it looks is so fucked. Yeah. Because the physics of what someone is like, like it, it, a body, a dead body in water, first of all, is one thing. 
And then when a body is like frozen is another thing. Well, yeah, especially because not all of it is frozen. It's about probably a foot, foot and a half maybe of solid ice and then just water underneath it. Yeah. So it's not fully the body. So that whole front facing part is all sorts of gross looking. And, and like then like an lines. arm is hanging off the icicle. Well, that's how they found it is yeah. that the, you know, when Abby's father killed this guy for his blood and tried to just shove him with the same ice poker that Owen used mm-hmm. down into this pond. He should have cut open the lungs like we talked about because then the body would have sunk. <laughs> but because he didn't, the hand was out over the ice yep, or over the water. So when the pond froze, that was peeking out. And it wasn't until the police like used chainsaws to open up the ice that like there's a whole ass body. Well, yeah, because it's got the one hand on the top of the ice and one underneath yeah. where it was still f- just floating. Yeah, so you have like three different layers to this corpse cake. So you have like the frostbite of the hand outside. I'm using a cake analogy. I'm okay with it. I'll the, allow it. The frozen solid, you know, middle bit, and then yeah, that front facing and that arm dangling. That's just water. Like, you know, whatever the hell water does to bodies. Yeah. yeah it makes them gross. Yep. That had to stink. Oh, I don't know if it did. Really? So the gaseous fumes that build up. Okay, <laughs> Here we so, go. So when, corp, when a person dies, okay, <laughs> all of the bacteria in their stomach mm-hmm. needs to escape. And because the intestines have dissolved because of the stomach acid, they, the bacteria is eaten through the stomach. So all it has is the stomach to get through, but, the, but you know, the skin and muscle and bone, that's, like, harder to eat through. So what happens is the belly starts to get distended a bit, so you get bloated is what they call it, especially in water. It's a lot easier for it to happen. So whenever you pull up dead body from, like, water, it's all, like, twice its size almost. Like, it looks kind of like, um, you remember in Resident Evil, the final chapter, that first zombie that she kills mm-hmm. in D.C.? It's all big and fat yeah. it was waterlogged in that reflecting pool. That's what happens to a body when it's in water for a long time. Okay. But in this case, I don't know. I don't know how the bacteria would work. I don't know. I'm going to have to ask a weird dead person scientist. A mortician. (laughs) A dead person scientist. That's 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 what those are called. That's what those are called. (laughs) Speaking of dead bodies, how about that fucking tunnel scene, bro? That was brutal, and I did not see it coming. Walk me through it. Okay, so there's just this dude (laughs) walking down a tunnel. It's like night time yeah night jogging you know yeah, in the middle you know, of winter like you do and in the 80s and, <laughs> different times so he's just jogging down this dark tunnel and at the end of the tunnel he sees this um girl just like cowered in a corner and uh, i was just thinking that oh okay this is gonna be our first vampire attack it's not gonna be awful um but it's going to just be a simple bite uh, while we're away from well, we see Abby's first attack, but little did we realize that it was going to be so much more than that when she, instead of just biting his neck when, she, when he carries her in his arms, um, she starts thrashing around this tunnel, basically breaking his bones so he becomes immobilized so she can more easily drain the entirety of his blood rather than if she had just bitten into him and only done a partial attack that would have only drained a little bit of blood so he would still be able to do things and then once she does have him on the ground and is uh, has finished breaking most of his bones so she could more easily eat his blood she 
she then breaks his neck to just kind of finish the job before she finishes eating. So at least he didn't have to live through all of that, I suppose. Yeah, it's nuts. It, and the, the effects on her eyes and her oh. skin. Because, yeah, that's the first time we see the vampire effects on her. It's very reminiscent of Midnight Mass. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the reflective eyes. Um, I had a little bit of vampire speed there. I needed to... <laughs> <laughs> you made it. I'm very proud. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe my laptop was about to die. I needed to run downstairs. <laughs> yeah, that's my vampire speed for the episode. <laughs> uh, but that's the first time we know what she is. Yes. Right? And that's the first time that we see her, almost in a metaphorical sense, like use being a child to be a predator. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Even Again, even if she doesn't know she's doing it. Oh, God. <laughs> I say, take a minute. It's Jesus okay. Christ. Because, <laughs> yeah, up until that point, we don't have any, like, clear cut, she is a vampire until that moment. Because, yes, the man was collecting blood. We don't know why, though, up until that right. point. Because he's just, for all we know, he's just getting he's just it ready to paint. He's just a creepy-ass serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> Who just happens to live with this little girl. Y- yeah, exactly. Um, which uh, would be concerning. But that's it a different movie. before. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this, yeah, uh, unless you come into the movie knowing uh, that it is a vampire movie, up until that point, you would have very little evidence to suspect anything until right. that first attack really goes, oh, so, th- okay, fuck, that's what this is, that's what we're in for here. Yeah, I mean, it's not like they're hiding it or anything. Yeah. Like, the poster, oh, God, it says something to the effect of, like, like for uh, innocence and, dies, Abby, Abby doesn't. doesn't. Yeah, like they're not. And again, it's a remake of Let the Right One In, so like they're not really hiding it, but they they present it in a very realistic way. Where like you're gonna find out as she does in real time, mm-hmm. do what she needs to do to survive. That's how you're gonna learn about her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh. Before we get into Matt Reeves, the Matt Reeves the checklist, checklist. Um, if we haven't highlighted any good any of the big themes overall, because uh, I, I think that's a good segue to just talk about him, because he's a big thematic director. Yes, very much so. Um, we talked a little bit about the violence and the power, um, the the repression of the eighties, mm-hmm. the the kind of the you know it's not always as it seems, and I feel like a lot of people that grew up in the eighties now can attest to a lot of that being a, a big factor on them, even if they don't even know it, it mm-hmm. was. Um, yeah, the, the, just the... I thought he was a serial, gonna be a serial killer at first just because he also, like, peeps on his neighbors just because, again, he's lonely. He doesn't mm-hmm. know how to connect to people very well. Um, so, like, he peeps on his neighbors, like, messing around. And so he's getting these, like, violent and sexual wires crossed and I'm mm-hmm. like this is bad news. This this is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I'm like I'm like dude I know serial killers this is not the path we want to go down. Mm-hmm. This only leads to more and more bad things. Um and especially having him be again he's 12 so like sexual interest is not really developed but like he is more or less romantically interested in Abby who is a monster. Mhm masquerading as a cute little girl. Yeah. Um, 
And I think it is fair for me to say, because I had a crush on Chloe Grace Moretz growing up, who, by the way, is Abby. Have we even talked about that? We haven't <laughs> talked about her yet. No. Fuck my life. Have we even talked about, like, the other people in this freaking movie? I don't think so. The only two other big ones are, it's Chloe Grace Moretz. Mm-hmm. I mean, God. What what hasn't she been in? Uh, yeah, you may know her from Kick-Ass. You'll see her again on the on the yeah. podcast soon in the Carrie remake. God, I love that. Um, movie. She was, I think, uh, some of her most recent things were the Tom and Jerry Tom movie, and, Jerry. <laughs> and she voiced Wednesday Adams in the animated Adams Family movies of the 2010s. Did she do both of them? I believe so. Yes, she did at least the first one. She did do both of them. Awesome, cool. cool Can cool. confirm. Love that. I her. remember one of the. God, remember when uh, Jimmy Kimmel would do uh, celebrities read mean tweets? Yes. There was one edition where they had her on. Like, this was within the last, like, five years. She's, like, mm-hmm. two or three years older than I am. So she's, like, mid to late 20s now. But this was when she was maybe, like, 23. Okay. So they had her on, and she's like, Chloe Grace Moretz looks like a bleached asshole. You must have a really, really, really bleached asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Wow. Um, and, uh, the Owens bully, I wanted to highlight, I I mean, the character itself is is cool, but I feel like I really wanted to highlight just because of what he's done in the years since. Mm -hmm. What's his name? Uh, Dylan Minette. Dylan Minette, thank you. I knew it was Dylan something. Yeah, we just couldn't remember the last name. I'm like, there's so many Dylans that look just like him that play a lot of the similar roles. And I'm like, man, but like, you would know him immediately if you saw him. From any number of things. 13 Reasons Why. Goosebumps, Don't Breathe, Prisoners. Um, Shit, the he most was recent in Scream movie. Wait. Yeah, he was in Prisoners. He is the son. No, no, I know, but like, oh shit. He's only like one degree of separation away from Paul Dano and the Riddler and the Batman. <laughs> We can't even cover... It's not a horror movie. It's just so fucking sad. But I watch Prisoners. It's fucking amazing. It might as well be a Matt Reeves movie. It's just, like, dark as fuck, and everyone in it is amazing. Uh, What else was he in? I I feel like I'm missing something. Scream! The new Scream movie. The new Scream movie. Um... So yeah, people definitely know the kid, and I think mm-hmm. it's a fun thing because the net it's the movie's on Netflix, by the way. Yes, but I mean it's on Netflix. Do yourself a favor and watch it. Um, he's the thumbnail, and I'm like, we they were like, we know what's going on. Yeah, we know how to sell this movie. People are like, oh shit, that's the you know that's this kid that they watch it. They're like, wait, what is happening here? What's going on? <laughs> um, yeah, the cast is small. Because the movie yeah. is supposed to be about a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you don't even see Owen's mother's face clearly the entire the movie. Entire and that time. is very purposeful. Because mm-hmm. almost it's almost kind of as if, like, if you grew up in a despondent household like he does, I wonder if after a while, if you leave home pretty early, if years down the line, can you even accurately remember that parent's face? Like, oh. it's almost very dreamlike where, like, once you think about it, you never can really pinpoint faces in dreams. They're mm-hmm. always very obscure, kind of changing, very, you know, murky. Yeah. And I think that they that was purposeful. I mm-hmm. think it was supposed to be, you know, she might as well just be a role instead of a figure in his life. Mm-hmm. You know, she just is mom. She doesn't have any bearing in who he is, how he's feeling, what he does. Yeah. Um, do you want to get into the checklist? Let's get this into this be how checklist. We, how we get out of this movie? 
So Matt Reeves, for those of people that have seen the Batman, have seen the Rise of the Planet of the, the, Planet of the Apes movies, uh, or even Cloverfield, uh, next time you watch any of his movies, especially I think this will be the most fun if you've seen the Batman and then watch this. Because mm-hmm. you'll be like, wait a minute, there's a lot of similarities. So at the very least, everything on this checklist is something that has been in the Batman. And now that I was thinking about it, like, oh, shit, that's, like, actually in a lot of his other movies as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so weird, weird masks is a big thing for yeah, him, right? Of, yeah, and a lot of, like, plasticky masks. I think that specifically that has some kind of psychological thing to it mm-hmm. where it's, like, what the Riddler talks about in the Batman where it's, you know, the mask made me feel like I could do anything. It, it took off these restraints. It gave me power because yeah. it allowed me to be someone I wasn't, mm-hmm. but it was someone I wanted to be. So the mask, in this case, being clear, is more like it's to scare people. Yeah. Um, specifically, a bag mask person hiding in the back seat to try to kill somebody. Yep. Straight up is in <laughs> the both. Riddler. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's how Abby's father collects blood. He just hides in people's, you know, he's like the urban legend of the dude just hiding in the back seat, mm-hmm. and then he just, you know, puts uh, like what's it called? Chloroform. Um, yeah, chloroform over him, and, and just takes, takes him into the forest. Hangs him upside down, lets him drain out. Uh, practical car crashes. Which are just so rad. Dude, it was in one take in this movie. Was it really? Yeah. Well, oh, so, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, a one shot. in the back. Right. Like, definitely set up, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two stunt performers. And then the guy, it was a backwards drive into oncoming traffic. Yep. And then he turned, was hit, rolled down a hill, yep. crashed, like, upside down. And all of that shit was in one shot yep. and was practical. Love that shit. He loves putting cars upside down. Yeah. It also just makes for some great shots. So oh, absolutely. I'm sure his cinematographers love that. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, the loosely ominous Christian imagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically in this movie, you have a lot. So Reagan was the president in the early 80s. And despite, this is me pontificating, but Reagan had a very Christian like moral conservative background. Mm-hmm. He put that into a lot of his speeches. You don't really see that very much anymore, like direct references to God all the time. Yeah. Um, but just because, like, we only really see it, you know, in uh, like TV broadcasts and newscasts. So it's almost like this is the stuff being pumped into America's ears is that there, there's some war going on between good and evil and that anyone that is not just like me is the enemy. Mm-hmm. Anyone that is not, in this, in this case, like this upright Christian figure with all of the stereotypes that that involves, they are outsiders, they are different, they are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need to be eradicated. Um, so that, I think, is one of those very stick-in-his-head, wire-cross things that Owen has to do, especially for when he calls his dad. Yeah. He's like, I heard this on the news. Uh, you know, I don't... This is a big adult thing that I don't understand, but, like, does this mean that my friend is bad? Mm-hmm. Um, which is sad in itself. Um, vengeance across the board <laughs> is a big thing for Matt Reeves. And I think you brought it up er- a good point earlier where I think that a lot of... His characters, just like James Gunn, just like most really good directors, they put a lot of themselves into their characters. Mm-hmm. 
Matt tends to Matt, not me, Matt. Matt, Matt Reeves, Reeves, Matt, Mister Reeves <laughs> tends to uh, write a lot of main characters who are very flawed mm-hmm. um, and are very rawly human, even if they aren't themselves human. And like Caesar is a chimpanzee, yeah, and Abby is a vampire. Um, you know, Bruce Wayne, for all intents and purposes, has lost his humanity. Mm-hmm. So it's him regaining that humanity. It's Abby learning to try to reach out. It's Caesar trying to create a world from himself that he feels that he has been rejected from. Mm-hmm. And vengeance is obviously the best and most guttural thing that someone can do that feels disadvantaged. Yeah, is take that, take that shit back, take it to the streets. Lead an army of chimpanzees with spears, or get a billion-dollar suit and beat criminals to death, near death. Or in this case, you know, she's stuck with it. Mm-hmm. This is, like, vengeance is something that she offers to Owen. I mean, like, when he's talking about being bullied, you know, she's like, you know, you got to hit back. Yeah. He's like, well, I can't. There's three of them. And she's like, well, you have to hit back even harder. Um, you have to hit back until they stop coming at you. And he's mm-hmm. like, I can't, I'm not strong enough. And she's like, well, I can help you. We make you strong at four. Yeah, we make you strong. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, but he, she's like, oh, I can yeah. help. So not only is she offering to do this for him, like it's the first extension that she gives to him and it's also the one thing that he needs. Mm-hmm. So again, she could know that she's doing it. She maybe couldn't. But, you know, and then Owen's like, but you're a girl. And she's like, I'm a lot stronger than you think that I am. Which is an understatement. <laughs> well, and is really cool because, it, like we were saying, if the movie wasn't about vampires, it's about two kids from broken, abused homes who are trying to work together to, to overcome that. Mm-hmm. So for all intents and purposes, she very well could have not been a vampire, just lived with a father who was probably a serial killer, probably killed her mother, mm-hmm. and all these other things. And she's like, well, I can overcome that. You're a lot stronger than, I'm a lot stronger than you think that I am. But she also has supernatural beast strength. Yeah. <laughs> Especially that fucking end scene. We talked about that fucking end bit. I, I don't She tears people apart, Danny. <laughs> piece by piece. Well, and that's when she actually does fill up fill that promise that she made that she will help him. Yeah. If it gets to be too much. Because it does. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much at that point. <laughs> um, speaking of that scene, a beautiful color balance. Yeah. It's a big Matt Reeves thing. Um, shooting a lot through windows is mm-hmm. a big thing. He, It's a very removed outsider thing, like film technique. I was saying, a lot of his, like, l- he does a lot of really well shot, like, silhouette lighting from the back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, that whole bit when he's in the apartment watching her consume blood, he, it's, it's back to him. Mm-hmm. And as he leaves, it's the reverse shot. Um but it, it's he loves that stuff. He yeah. loves watching someone removed process shits. Um, scary POV shots also, I think, fall in that <laughs> yeah um, that that uh, oeuvre. Um, I can't think of any in this. I just wrote that down, which means there definitely were some of the movies. But I yeah, can't I can't remember, remember any. one offhand, but I'm sure. Yeah, the cinematography in Matt Reeves' movies are always fantastic. Yeah, they're all very character-driven, which is something I've I've grown to have a lot more respect for in the last year or so. Um, Dead Moms, kind of standard. Trauma, standard. Um, A Kid Who Really Needs a Hug, pretty standard. (laughs) Um, Facial disfigurement. 
Yeah. Uh, specifically for um, when uh, Abby visits her father in the hospital. And god damn, that's what Two-Face is going to look like, huh? Like they like the makeup for this man who poured acid on his face looks like a mixture of the Joker and Two Face. Like he can't speak because he swallowed some of it, the Mm -hmm. acid, so his esophagus is gone. He can barely breathe on his own, let alone speak. His mouth has dissolved. Like his teeth are gone, his tongue is gone, like it might as well the joke might as well be falling off. Yeah. Uh his nose has disappeared, all of his hair is gone. Um it's just really gnarly looking and very, very cool. Um, this one's a little more <laughs> nuanced, but complex feelings of or manifestations of love and affection. Um, how that happens. Mm-hmm. How someone shows they care. Especially someone who is, you know, a Matt Reeves character who is broken and doesn't know how. Um, or only responds to that vulnerability with aggression um mm-hmm. i think of uh koba from the planet of the apes movies the the one ape that hates humans because That's he was right. experimented on and anytime that like it, it even like his hatred alienates him from his own kind because he can't allow himself to be vulnerable and to let his guard down so he mm-hmm. can't even trust himself around the apes um abby has a hard time trusting owen despite the fact that he she gave him a number of times to walk away, and he came right back. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how does she feel about that? And how does he feel about what he's doing? Um, a lot of that was more just me, like, I want to talk about Matt Reeves, and yeah. I want to talk about Great. Well, and know? one thing I want to bring up before we completely throw away the Matt Reeves checklist <laughs> is uh, the actual cinematographer for this movie is also the cinematographer he used for the Batman because he uses the same director um, uh director of photography his name is greg frazier who recently won his first oscar mm-hmm. for, for, dune. for dune yeah which he did the mandalorian yep and then he did dune and then he did the batman and now he's doing dune 2 he also did um vice rogue one a star wars story he made the most beautifully shot star wars movie yeah i will say that shit uh and uh zero dark 30 is another he oh, one awesome. he's very well known for awesome Wow! Holy yeah, shit. he's he's had a great so career. So just Oscar after Oscar after Oscar. He's oh, actually won one, one Oscar. No, no, but, but I mean, like those movies, movies were yes. huge. Like I know Rogue One was one of the first. Not, I could be totally wrong, but I remember it as being one of the most recent Star Wars movies that was up for something other than like just visual effects. Visual effects. Yeah, um, it was very cool. I, it might have even been for cinematography. Uh, but yeah, Zero Dark Thirty won a bunch of Oscars when it came mm-hmm. out. Dune cleaned up, and he deservedly. Won that, won that Oscar. Um, the Mandalorian won, or at least was nominated for a bunch of uh, Emmys. Emmys yep. Probably not the least of which was cinematography. Mm-hmm. So this guy knows what he's doing and gets Matt Reeves on that psychological theme-based level of what the focus of the movie should be. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be on visual effects. It shouldn't be on green screens. It shouldn't be on the plot. It should be on the characters. Yeah. Because that's the plot. Mm-hmm. What they're doing and what they're feeling forwards what is happening to them. Like, we should want that cop to find Abby. We should want him to discover what's happening. But, but I don't want him to. Because yeah, then, you care more about Abby and her struggles than about solving the problem. Well, for me, I'm like, if, from a if he city kills standpoint. her or takes her away, Owen's alone. Mm-hmm. And if 
you know, if, if she fights back, she's going to have to leave. And then Owen will be alone. So it's like, I just stop investigating them. Just leave it alone. Please, sir, just leave it be. Don't go down this road. Don't do it. Um, God. This movie overall, I fucking loved it. It's fantastic. I, again, I would rec- this is one movie I feel comfortable recommending to anyone. Yeah, and I, we should we should set the standard. There is blood in it, but that does not mean it's gory. Correct. Nor is it gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the scene at the end that has the most gore in it does not have like horror violence. It's more like if you put a bunch of people in a blender, turned it on for about four seconds, and then dumped it all over a pool. Well, yeah, because you don't see any of it actually happening. You, you hear see it. the aftermath. Yeah. Yes. You a see bit. the aftermath. Yeah, for in a wide shot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like going over the details. And yeah. even when they, uh, you know, when that guy gets drained of blood, it's not like slicing open his throat, blood all over the snow. It's like, I'm going to be efficient. I'm going to hit the jugular, let the blood pump out. I'm mm-hmm. going to fill this up. So, like, if blood makes you uncomfortable, yeah, you know, you're not going to like most types of it. But I think it's done in an artistic enough way that it helps it go down easier. Yeah. You know? What are your big thoughts and big takeaways? Because you, we ended this movie and you were like, I really like that. And yeah. You don't do that very often. I, I really don't. Because I don't like to like pigeonhole myself sometimes with stuff like that. Because I enjoy most of the movies I watch. I like to enjoy movies. I very rarely will leave a movie and be like, well, that sucked. Because I like to look for the good in movies. But this That's one, why we're doing this podcast together. Yeah. And I think that that's helped both of us be like, a movie that yeah we would have otherwise hated was like well, there's good stuff about mm-hmm. it you know but yeah this movie just took me for the ride it was going for so quickly and so effectively I just ugh, I, I I have struggles like finding words for yeah it, I know because right? it just made me feel so much for these characters right. and so I just really f- loved following along in their story right and especially as it grew to different. Um, conflicts because what you may think early on in the movie is going to be the major conflict of the movie ends up taking a back seat half of the time for this yeah. other thing that they have to deal with. Yeah. And it's not a, like even like the plot be like the overarching plot of like people discovering that who she is and then all that stuff. That's not the focal point. The focal mm-hmm. point is what is the next step of what her and Owen are going to be like. Yep. Uh, how is Owen going to confront his bullies? How is he going to, like, what's the future of his parents' relationship going to be like? You know, how is it going to affect him when he finds out about her? Yeah. All of these things are purely character things, and those are the things you care about. The yep. plot is secondary. Was the like, plot, yeah. I'm like, put it on In hold. This, I just want to see this. characters actions and how what they worry about is that leads the plot yeah which is also why i cared more about the plot yeah when it does come into big play yeah amidst like, the characters it's got a lot more weight when yeah. it does intersect and when it intersects it's like uh, like here's a great example so the first person that abby's father kills is mm-hmm. a former student at the school that owen goes to um so when he goes missing there's like the police being like, hey, this kid went missing. And then there's like memorials at school. Mm-hmm. All those things, including the assembly where the cops are like, hey, if you know anything, let us know. Owen is almost blissfully ignorant too. He well, he's too right- worried about yeah. watching his bullies and worrying about what they're going to do next to him. Yeah. And then discovering, like, you know, he's uh, like more worried about going home and hanging out with Abby. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. This is another 
part. This is another world. This does not interact with him. Mm-hmm. He walked right past that kid's memorial. Yeah, in the auditorium, he's looking at his bullies. He's not concerned about what's happening. And even when they find that body in the ice, he's more worried about getting suspended for hitting that kid in the face. Who fucking deserves it? <laughs> so, like, when it does intersect, it means something because that's Owen being confronted with the harsh reality of, oh, you, like, kill people. Mm-hmm. You need blood. You're this other thing. Uh, man, that's so good. We gotta cut it short, but like, yeah, like, oh God, it's so good. Please watch it. Yes, Just highly do. recommend. And like, no matter like what we've said in terms of themes, how what we took from it, you could watch this and get something very different. Mm-hmm. You could watch this and be like, she is manipulating him, and there's ample evidence to suggest that. And yeah. I'm inclined to agree with you. This is, but just my gut feeling and my emotional experience because this movie is so about evoking emotion, mm-hmm. and I'm all about following my gut, especially when it comes to that. That's how I feel. I yeah. feel like it's someone that that doesn't know that they're damaging their life, um, and in their efforts to try to to make a connection, they irrevocably destroy any hope of connection, mm-hmm. and sometimes. <laughs> Sour note. Maybe it just maybe it'll never get better. Maybe that's just who they are. If they're vampires, not if they're normal people, but like in her case, yeah. it's liter- <laughs> she is literally she cannot get better because there's no cure for it. You can go to therapy in real life, yeah, and it's very different. <laughs> Way to save it, Matt. Yeah, I'm trying to <laughs> swing it. Up. We the last like three episodes we've had like end on downers, and I'm like, fuck, we gotta stop. I gotta, I gotta stop doing this. <laughs> But that's just that's the type of shit I respond to a lot in movies. That's I'm a big emo boy, so I like the Batman for that darkness. Mm-hmm. I appreciated this for the sad aspect of the emotional experience. I don't know how what, what was your big one when you took it away. So I don't <sighs> not like what did you think happened, but like what did it leave you with? <sighs> that's that's so hard because I feel like this movie left me with a lot of different thoughts going around in my head. And I feel like once I didn't really think much about the manipulation of it until we were more talking about it after the fact. That's my psychology thing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, During the movie, I was more thinking just about how these two people um, found each other and how they needed each other in that time more than anything else because she does lose the one thing she knows she can count on at that point. He already has lost everything, and so he has no further down to go. And it was just so interesting to watch these two people who were reaching almost a rock bottom again help build each other up for the first time in who knows how long. It's kind of interesting to see, like, Owen thinks he's hit rock bottom, and it's not until he meets her that he realizes that he's actually in a position to help her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, call it positive or negative, but, yeah, that's what brings him out of his funk. That's kind of what gives him a sense of pride and identity. Um, for me, I'm like, that kid's so fucked. But, like, in terms of the characters, like, good for now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think that's cool. And I think that's because, you know, we don't disagree, but because we took away two different things, and I'm still not completely sure, yeah. that speaks to that it's designed to be evocative of any of these, and all of them are right. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, we're all winners. Yeah. <laughs>
That's a much more positive note. Yeah, we'll there we go. That. Okay, follow our Instagram at the underscore Square Horror Podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you ever meet a kid that is all alone on a playground in the middle of winter and they don't have shoes on, just give them a Rubik's Cube and walk away. No, call DCFS because they're being abused. Oh. And if they're not and they're a vampire and it's that point zero 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 one percent of the time, <laughs> maybe it's best that they just stop killing people. Yeah. So... Keep that in mind. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, stay spooky.